0: Well, if this is your first time here, your first time here in a while, we are glad that you are joining with us. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know we have been in this series called Losing Our Religion, where we're walking our way through the book of Galatians and looking at our relationship with Jesus as something much more than just a religion. And we've been processing through how this simple formula affects everything we do. The formula is Jesus plus... Wow, you guys are less awake than nine o'clock. All right, so let that get that coffee kicking in. Everybody wake up a little bit. It is Jesus plus nothing, nothing equals, everything. equals. There we go. All right, I have not completely failed. I was about to think, man, it's rough if they don't know this one. How does that little formula of Jesus plus nothing equal everything change our lives? And we're gonna wrap up that series today, but as we do that, I am really excited about what's coming next week. So next week, I wanna invite you to think about maybe a neighbor or a friend or family member you could invite to come with you as we begin a new series called Happily Ever After. We'll be taking a look at marriage and what it, what it looks like to communicate in marriage, how we struggle through and we glorify God as we live this relationship together. We'll talk about what we think we know, and maybe all of us will learn and grow. And the thing I'm most excited about in this series is week four. So everybody, mark your calendar, November 20th. You can come, and you don't have to listen to any of the pastors speak that day. Because we're going to have a panel of your peers who have agreed to come up on stage and talk about their marriages. So, if you're like, oh my gosh, I can come to church and all I have to do is ask," hear Jason ask questions. No Chase, no Paul. Somebody who is like me is going to talk. Make sure you're here on November 20th. It'll be a great time. So, I don't know. If anybody else has this problem, I can't believe I'm the only one, but sometimes you've got, a, like you've got a text in front of you. Maybe it's for homework, or you've got an assignment, you read it, and you're like, there's so much in there. There's so much I want to say, but I have no clue how to say it, right? And so we struggle with this, like, okay, how do I, there's a lot of, got a lot of information. No clue how to summarize this down so that anybody would remember any of it. Well, that was me this week as I was preparing to walk through Galatians chapter 6. I'm like, all right, there's a lot of stuff in here, but man, I I don't know how I'm going to say all this stuff in a way that they're going to remember it. And so on Thursday, I went to Love Peoria, which was an event hosted by the Dream Center, and they had a guest speaker whose name was Carlos Whitaker. And I don't follow, I'm, I'm old, right? Let's just be honest, I'm old. So I don't follow Carlos Whitaker too closely on social media, uh, but apparently his whole thing on social media and his whole talk on Thursday night was see people, free people. And I was like, that's an interesting concept. So I kept listening to him talk as he talked about seeing people and freeing people. I, got cha- I was challenged by his message, by the idea that this is what we're supposed to do. And I went home that night And I started thinking about Galatians 6, and I was like, wait, time out. This is the whole point of Galatians. Paul is saying, see people and free people. And so, full credit to Carlos Whitaker, I'm stealing his bottom line. I did add a few words to it, which probably means it just got worse, but that's okay. I'm stealing his content. So as we look at Galatians chapter 6 today, what I want you to see and understand is that following Jesus means we have to see people and free people. If we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, our responsibility is to see others and to free others. And this is really important for us because as we've walked through this series, I've had many of you come up to me and be like, Jason, I love this whole concept, but how do I live it out? I want to be free, but I feel trapped I want to believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but that's not how my life feels right now. Someone came this week and they're like, listen, I I want to believe Jesus plus everything can help my marriage, but right now I just feel stuck. And I don't know if anything is actually going to change that. How do we live this out? How do we realize that we are free this morning i want to acknowledge that the how is hard it's it actually is really simple and then it's really hard the how's personal the how takes us below the surface it makes us look inside of our own lives it makes us wrestle with stuff and the how will take time for most of us i don't ever want to put god in a box and be like God has to take a lot of time. God could snap his fingers and make everything, and some of you might hear this message today, walk out and be like, he's right. All my burdens, everything that's hard in life makes sense now. I see clearly. And if that's you, God bless you. The Holy Spirit spoke, because I'm sure I don't have the power to do that. But for most of us, it's going to be a journey as we begin to live this how. But I think my goal is, as we unpack this idea that following Jesus is about seeing people and freeing people, I think we discover the how in all of that. And so before we dive into Galatians chapter 6 today, would you pray with me one more time? God, we come today and we bring our own junk into this room with us. We bring baggage from the week or the weekend or a lifetime And God, if we're honest, sometimes the message seems a little too easy, a little too trite, a little too neatly packaged, and it doesn't seem to meet us where we're at. Or God, we look around the room and we think I'll never be as good as the rest of the people in this room. So God, today, I pray that your words would speak. I pray, God, that your spirit would move. That in that, we would see how you desire for us to be free. God, open our minds. Open our hearts. That we may hear and acknowledge and believe that those things are true. Thank you so much for Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. So for your last time, at least if for a while, would you open up your Bibles or your phones to Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, is where we're going to start. If you're a note taker or you want to be a note taker and you've never started, today's your shot. You can log into the Version Bible app, and all your notes will live online for you to resource as long as you want if you want to take notes in the YouVersion Bible app as we read Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. And it says this. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. How do we see people and free people? By living in the Spirit. Some of you right now are like, wow, Jason, super anticlimactic thought this was going to be a little bit more practical, right? What's it mean to live by the Spirit or to follow His leading? I think the first thing we have to do, if we're going to do that, we have to realize that we are seen. Each and every one of us has been seen. The entire book that we're studying, the book of Galatians, is a testimony that Paul has seen the Galatians. He saw their struggles. He saw the false teachings. He saw the things they were caught up in. He saw the choices they were making. They were seen. <clears throat> Galatians 1.6 says, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Paul saw the Galatians as people were walking in and teaching them a false gospel. Galatians 2.19, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Paul sees the Galatians realizing they can't measure up to God's standard and feeling condemned. He sees them there. He sees them in Galatians 3.2. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Spirit when you believe the message you heard about Christ. Paul sees the Galatians trying to earn their salvation through obedience. Galatians 4:2-12. dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Paul sees the Galatians in bondage to the law that they can't keep. Lastly, Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Paul sees the Galatians struggling as they're trying to grow, struggling to grow in their understanding of how much God loves them. And as a result of his seeing them, he writes them this letter. Church, we've been looking at this chart for a couple of weeks and you might remember this cross represents the point when we found Jesus. The truth is Jesus saw us and because he sees us, we stand before God forgiven and free. We stand before God perfect you don't have to believe this just because I said so. One of my favorite Bible stories of all times is the story of the prophet Elijah. And I think the prophet Elijah makes or understands this point or helps us see this point so clearly. If you're not familiar with the prophet Elijah, Old Testament, Book of Kings, you can go back and read it when you go home. But it's like a story of one guy who's gonna stand up against 850 false prophets. Right? I don't care what you're competing in. I I thought of this for a while this week. I can't think of anything where one against 850 is a benefit to you. Right? But that's where Elijah stands. One guy going to stand up for God against 850 false prophets. And the competition is going to be, you build an altar, I'll build an altar. You pray to your God that he'd send fire from heaven and light the altar on fire. I'll pray to my God and pray that he would send fire from heaven and light the altar on fire, right? So we got a competition between whose God is best. That's essentially what we boiled down to. And so I think I probably like this story partially because I like to add a little sarcasm to Elijah's nature. So he's like, "The, the false prophets of Baal build their altar. They start crying out to God to send this. And Elijah like begins mocking them halfway through it. He's like, hey, Yell a little louder, maybe your God's taking a nap, right? It's Sunday afternoon, it's the second quarter of the football game, nobody cares, your God's asleep. Yell a little louder, maybe he'll wake up. And after that doesn't work, he's like, oh, he's probably in the bathroom. Just give him a couple minutes, he's in the bathroom, he'll come out. And finally Elijah gets tired. He says, stop. And he says, I'm gonna prove to you that my God is the one true God, right? And so he says, pour water all over my altar. Do it again, do it again. And then he walks over and he prays that God would prove that he is real, that he would send fire from heaven on this altar. And the fire comes down, the heat's so intense, the water evaporates in the like trough they dug around the altar to catch all the water. I don't know about you. At that point, I'm like here, right? Like I'm on the mountaintop. This is awesome. God just showed up. But that's not enough. Then they, like, wipe out all the prophets of Baal. And the king is going to go run back and tell the queen. And so the king gets on his chariot, and Elijah tucks his tunic in his belt, right? And he takes off running. Now, I don't know how many of you are runners in here or how fast you think you can run. You cannot outrun a chariot. And I like to picture this. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I like to picture Elijah running and he's just in front of the chariot, like taunting Ahab, like, hey, come on, king, catch up. Come on, can't you catch up? And he, he runs and he outruns the king back to the queen. Mountaintop experience. God is real. God is speaking. God has seen me. God has shown up in my life. But what happens next in the story of Elijah, I think is what's encouraging for me. It makes me feel like I'm not alone in this because my guess is we've all had this like mountaintop experience you can pick whichever mountaintop you want to look at and shortly after that we fall down into this pit Elijah's is like a crazy mountaintop experience right and this is what it says in first kings 9 1 through 4 when Ahab got home he told Jezebel if you ever wondered that's where the name comes from everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I've not killed you just as you killed them. Now, I didn't actually realize this until I read this this week. Elijah's gotta be like, yeah, I just beat those gods, right? Like, he just defeated those gods in this showdown, right? Jezebel, big deal, Give me, some, give me a real threat. That's not a threat. But what's it say? Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under the solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already Died. I'm sorry, what? You just beat 850 prophets. You outran a chariot. And now you want to die? He went from like mountaintop to pit overnight. He forgot that God had seen him. How does that happen? I don't think it happens any differently for Elijah than it did for us. The noise in his life was overwhelming. All of the messages he's hearing, the noise for the Galatians was overwhelming. Church, if we wanna know how we're seen, we have to be intentional to cut out the noise. You're like, well, what's the noise? Well, this thing that I keep in my pocket Provides plenty of noise in my life. It's got reels on there, let you know, 15 second video clips that I start watching, and next thing you know, three hours are gone, and then I'll never get back. Hours of my life gone because I watched stupid reels. There's text messages, there's emails, there's all kinds of social media that I can put my life next to somebody else's highlight reel and compare. There's phone calls. There's noise. Noise that distracts me from hearing the voice of God in my life. Maybe it's not your phone for you. Maybe it's something else. But if we're going to hear from God, we have to get serious about cutting out the noise because the story of Elijah tells us that God doesn't always come in big, bold, booming ways. See, because if you read a little bit further, God hides Elijah in a mountain, in the cleft of a mountain. And a windstorm passes by. But God's not in the storm. And an earthquake comes, but God doesn't speak in the earthquake. And a firestorm comes, but God doesn't speak in the firestorms. All of a sudden, God whispers. If we're going to know we're seen, we have to get quiet enough. To hear God whisper. Now, where are we making time, making space, getting quiet, leaving our phone in another room so we can hear God whisper? Maybe your biggest howl on a day when it is sunny and 80 degrees outside at the end of October is you need to go take a walk today. And you need to let God speak. We need to get quiet. We need to talk to God in prayer, but we need to pause long enough to listen to God speak back to us. Maybe we open our phone or our Bible and we read it, not so we can be like, look God, I read my Bible twice today. Once in church and once in the afternoon. That I should get double stars for that. No, but in a way that says, I just want to hear you speak. I need to know, God, that you see me where I am. No matter what's going on, the good, the bad, the ugly, God, I need you to see me. But church, following Jesus isn't just about being seen. It's about being seen so that we can see others. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Church, this is super important. When we see people, we don't see them so we can judge them. We don't see them so we can compare ourselves to them and go, well, at least I'm not like that guy or like that person. We come alongside each other to encourage, to help, to restore, to take their burden On ourselves and help them carry it. How often do we look down on others and be like, well, my life's not so bad. I remember when this first hit me. One of the times, maybe it wasn't the first time, but it was one of the times I'll never forget. We were on a mission trip in New Orleans, Louisiana. We took packs of supplies to pass out to folks who were homeless down there. And we walked under this bridge and there's a gentleman sitting against the post. And so I walked over and I offered him a pack and I said, can we talk? Sure, sit down. So he started telling me his story. Nine months earlier, this guy was making almost six figures, driving a truck, making a living, supporting his family, had a major health condition come. Insurance didn't cover it. He couldn't pay the bills. They kept mounting up. Then it ended up because of the condition he wasn't able to drive. He ended up losing his job. He lost his house. Nine months, he's homeless. I remember thinking, that fast, that could be me. that fast, that could be some of us. When we see people, we realize they're no different, right? We stop comparing. For some of you in the room, your comparison is that you're sitting in this room today and you're looking around and you're thinking, my life will never be as together as their life is. I see how their kids behave. My kids will never behave like that. I see how they talk to each other. I'll never have a conversation like that. When we're seen by Jesus, everything becomes equal, it's not about comparing anymore. It's about realizing I'm seen and I have an opportunity to see with gentleness and humility and compassion. I can stop trying to figure out if I'm better than them or they're better than me or where I follow that spectrum. I can put my arm around them and I can just say, I see you and I want to help you. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture ends this section. And I love it because I, again, if you don't know yet, I have a pretty sarcastic nature, so I like to read Paul's sarcasm in it. I hate it because when I do that, it steps all over my own toes. And it's Galatians chapter six, verse three. It says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. You are are not that important. Turn to the person on your right, look at them, and say, you are not that important. Turn to the person on your left, say it again. Look at them and say, you are not that important. Somebody left first service and said, now I know why we're doing a marriage series, because my wife just told me I'm not that important. (laughs) Say it one more time, but this time not you, but I. I am not that important. Church, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're not too important to start seeing people, to start walking alongside of them. Maybe some of us need to tape that on our bathroom mirror every morning and just remind ourselves as we walk out the door, I'm not that important, right? I struggle with that. I mean, I'm not really that important, but I can act like I am. I'm the lead pastor. <laughs> I'm not that important. I'm really not. Paul says this is what's important. Galatians five six. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. Galatians five thirteen. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's what's important. We love one another. And we love those in our community around us. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful natures will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest, a blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. You see, church, we're not just called to be seen. We're not just called to see, we're called to help set people free. Don't stop doing good. Jesus' entire ministry is about seeing and freeing people. Think about Mark chapter 5, when he sees the demon-possessed man in the graveyard, and he casts the demons out of him and sets him free. Think about the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, who was societally outcast, who wasn't allowed to be around anybody else, who was isolated and alone. And Jesus, she touches Jesus, and she's healed and set free. The woman caught in adultery in John 8. Lazarus freed from death in John 11. And the man in Mark 2, captive to his bed, paralyzed until his friends brought him to Jesus. And he was set free. Church, that's our calling. As we see people, as we do good to them, we give them a chance to understand the freedom that's available to them through Jesus. Going down to Southside Mission is not about opening baggies, stuffing cranberry sauce into a container and carving some turkeys. It's about an opportunity to see someone who needs to be set free, who needs to hear the truth of the gospel, who maybe you're showing up or my showing up in their life will be the person that God uses to set them free so that they can understand they're not alone, they're loved, and God sees them too. Now, church, what's really important to understand in this? We're just helping with the freeing part. You're not called to set people free. That's the Spirit's job. We didn't get ourselves out of this pit, we believed in Jesus, and He took us here. Same is true for everybody else. I don't have to argue with them, I don't have to convince them that I'm right and they're wrong. I have to love them with the gospel. I have to meet them where they are. I have to put my arm around them. And I have to say, I see you. And I'm going to walk with you in this journey. And that's going to take time. And it's going to be hard. Nobody talks about that, right? Nobody talks about how long it might take when you encounter that neighbor or that friend or that family member. But church, that's what living the gospel is all about. So back to that how question. How do we do that? I promise you, when you stop, get quiet enough to know you're seen, begin to see others, and then watch God work through you to set someone free, your confidence in your ability to be set free will be bolstered. You'll be reminded of all the ways God has set you free. It's not about pulling ourselves up. It's not about working a little bit harder. Following Jesus means we have to see people and free people. So as we close out this series called Losing Our Religion, I have three questions for you. Do I feel seen? Where are you slowing down? in the middle of your circumstances whatever they are good or bad as you walk in this room do you feel seen question number 2 who is god calling me to see who's that person maybe they've been around randomly for the last couple weeks and you are like I, don't, I know like we were in the same circle but i don't know i don't know why i keep running into you Maybe that's God saying, I want you to see that person. Or maybe it's your neighbor, right? Everybody's got one of those. I hope mine never watch online because they're all wondering, like, which neighbor is it? Right? (laughs) But we've all got that neighbor. He's like, why do they live here? God's calling us to see them. Third question. Who am I walking with towards freedom? Who are you investing in? You're saying, you know what? I want you to know you're not only seen, but you're seen, and I'm going to walk with you in this journey. Whether you do the right thing or the wrong thing, I don't even care what's right or wrong. I'm going to walk beside you because Jesus loved me, and I'm going to love you. Church, my prayer is that this place, this building And everywhere each one of us go in our communities, the people who interact with us know that they're seen. And we have an opportunity to help them be set free. May that be what we're about. Let's pray. God, it makes no sense to us that you saw us. That you even walked down and went to the cross for us. Why would you do that? Why would you put that cost on yourself? And yet it's exactly what you did to show us we're loved. To show us how much you cared. God, I ask and pray that because of what you've done, you give us eyes to see. God, for those in this room this morning who don't feel like anybody sees them, I pray that they walk out of here knowing you do, and that no matter what happens, you're gonna walk with them. God, thank you for setting us free, free from our sin, free from the things in our lives that try to push us down. And God. Help us to invest enough in relationships with other people that they can be set free too. May that be our cry as a church to see people and free people. Amen.